So it is the recorder of man's deeds, the keeper of his conscience, the courier of his news, that we look for strength and assistance, confident that with your help, man will be what he was born to be, free and independent. In your heart, you know he's right. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. This is Liberty in Exile with your host, Yael Osofsky. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I come to bring you liberty, not destroy it. The evil that governments do lives after them. The good is oft interred with their bones. So let it be with liberty in exile. Hello and welcome to the program on this, the 19th of September in the year 2013. I'm your host, Yael Osofsky, broadcasting you from the Sovereign Southern Studio here in the state of North Carolina on the Liberty Radio Network and the No Agenda Stream. We have a very interesting program set up for you as I have an interview with my good friend, Frank Torres. Let us go to it now. On the line with me, I have Mr. Frank Torres. Frank is the premier Florida-based television political analyst. Uh, I saw him on CF News 13 uh, down there in Orlando, Florida, and uh, I just had to get him on the show. I, you know, I've been promising him a while, and uh, I guess we kind of had both of our projects going on full speed ahead. But now we are reunited at last. Thank you, Frank, for coming on. Yeah, man, it's great to be here, Yal. I mean, we we miss you down here in Florida. Do you do you miss uh you miss covering the uh the political scene down here or or what? Uh, I guess I guess you could say I could. I do a little bit. I do think, however, that I was pretty spoiled just living there first off, and also kind of kind of following the politics because it's so easy to just look at all this stuff because there are so many weird things going on. You got different political cultures. You know, Miami versus Orlando versus what's going on in Tallahassee. It just felt like such a gem to have as a young reporter, you know? Yeah, I, I fully agree. And those uh, those cultures, they, they conflict all the time with the, the different operatives, you know, over the state. And it really is a, a unique place to, to be involved with in, in the political process. And we miss you down here. Hey, if you ever want to come on back and uh, and uh, and do some, uh, some of that strong reporting you do down here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll I'll think about it. That's something that uh, I can do. But it is a crowded field. Uh, you do run the site OrlandoPolitics.net. You've been doing a lot of blogging uh, during the election, specifically. You're you're putting out videos and you're doing articles and you're summing everything up and you're really pushing them out. So since you're really at the helm of doing that, and I would say that, you know, as far as Florida politics goes, I mean, you're you're the go-to fella. Uh, a lot of people that I've seen, you know, very positively look at your stuff and say this is this is pretty right, or he knows what he's talking about, or why is he so hard on Romney, or why is he so hard on Obama? You know, it's it's always good to see it. So how is the consultancy political analyst business down there? I mean, how how does it uh, how does it go in the life of a pundit, if I can use that bad word? 
You, you know, it's uh, oh, I don't mind the bad word. Yeah, oh, they're, good. They're, I've I've heard uh, plenty worse words used uh, in in the context of uh, of us pundits down here in Florida. So uh, I'm quite happy with that. You you know, it's it's just bigger than ever. You know, uh, you you see more money being spent in politics uh, each election cycle. We're gonna have a, a midterm next year, and it it's gonna be you know twice as exp- or not well, it's gonna be even more expensive than it was in a. In 2010, you've got Rick Scott, you know, uh, the Republican governor, uh, who's willing to spend a uh, hundred million dollars uh, to to beat the you know the person he replaced, Charlie Chris, down here in Florida. And the consultants down here are really busy. You know, it's a huge state uh, to cover a lot of different races. Some consultants are juggling a few at a time. I'm just excited to be a part of it and being able to to do the to the television and the blogging aspect to. Uh, to just sort of, you know, just chronicle how it all goes down. So we, we've talked before about a, a couple of select Florida blogs that uh, will, you know, they'll talk about a certain race or a certain candidate, and then at the same time they're actually consulting these guys. So they're giving them all kinds of advice or, like, helping them advise their campaigns or pushing out. I mean, how is is there, like, a certain ethics guideline that, uh, you know, consultants and analysts have to go through, or how does it sort of seem to you? Well, I think transparency is is really the way to go when it comes to you know to being a pundit and if you're still getting involved. Um, I didn't work with campaigns during 2012. I don't think I'm going to do any in 2014. Um, I just really like the, the whole media aspect of it. But I think uh, the the key guidelines are if you're working on a campaign, be upfront about it. Um, don't try to you know live have a secret identity as a as a pundit or a um, a blogger outside of the campaign, and um, if uh, and if you are involved in that in, in a campaign, then don't talk about it on television or blog about it, uh, you know, on the internet. You know, you're you're a biased personality, um, mm. and I just think just trying to be as neutral as possible about the races you are discussing um, is a really really uh, important point. Just like you know, you were down here, uh, you know, just like you as a as a, as a neutral journalist, you know, you, you try to do do your best to, to keep. To, to keep to those principles and ultimately you, you succeed if you do yeah i don't know if i was neutral i pretty much hated all <laughs> politicians so i it's pretty equal in that resort in that regard but professional 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 i like that there one. you go yeah i do yeah. have my i do have my union card society of professional journalists so i got my i'm in the club yeah, i, I think in the club it's an interesting point that you bring up as well that about being open and being very transparent. And I find that interesting in that a lot of these political blogs are very reliant upon advertising from the political campaigns. And then they write on the same website about the different political campaigns. And I mean, there are good examples of this stuff. And again, the, the great line of ethics. But obviously on your site, it's in that regard pretty neutral. I don't see huge... Uh, you know, Rick Scott ads on your site. I don't see any Debbie Wasserman Schultz elect, you know, reelect. I don't see anything like that on your site. Obviously, if uh, if you get some advertising, it'll be awesome. But again, I don't see any slant in your, in your reporting and your analysis. So that's a good thing. Yeah. Advertising revenues are eventually the, the way uh, all, you know, political bloggers are going to have to go to, um, because we don't have a product to sell. Uh, Very rarely do we have a service to to complement that. So ads are the, are the way to go. Um, you know, uh, I, I think people that use their party guidelines, um, I think, uh, outs- you know, a a public uh, Democrat or a public Republican um, 
can use those guidelines in a general election and, and sell to whoever they want to sell to. Um, mm-hmm. in, in primaries, the, the lines get a little blurred. But, you know, readers, especially these kind of readers, political readers, they're smart. Um, if they see a, a candidate for Bob Smith, you know, on my on my website, you know, well, this is a made up candidate, um, Bob Smith for city council. And I'm consistently talking up how great Bob Smith is um, without any sort of without, uh, any sort of uh, uh, pointing out when he makes a mistake or or incalculate incalculated move. People are going to put that together and it's going to hurt your credibility. So, so you're saying that the reader is much more intelligent than we perhaps give him credit for. Yeah, I think so. Especially the people that go looking through uh, through political blogs. I mean, we we can you know we can put the we can put the um, the pieces together and really get a, an opinion of uh, of of where uh, of where you know that blogger stands. And and once again, it's all about you know being uh, about full transparency. If you're going to be a, a journalist, um, then you know exercise the principles of a journalist. If you're going to be a pundit or a blogger like myself, uh, let your opinions be known. Um, the readers aren't going to go anywhere. Um, the advertisers, uh, as long as you're transparent, aren't going to go anywhere. And, 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 and it's good for the business. Hey, honesty is the best policy, uh, even though it is you know, a, a very rare uh, occurrence in our profession. It's a nasty game. <laughs> it's a nasty game. <laughs> yeah, you got to play it, though. Yes, so, sir. You, you know it. We got some, some big issues that are sort of playing out uh, both in the Florida mainstream and also mm-hmm. – uh, on the national stage, you don't really get asked too much about national issues. I, I think that's sort of how I met you, as I, I sought out your comments on what was uh, shaping up, especially around the presidential race. But uh, since uh, you know I have you here, I'm giving you a platform. I was wondering, you know, is anything on the national political scene that uh, I guess you just have uh, an angle on you haven't really been able to to get out there? You know, I think the, the national things, as far as uh, the national issues, as far as it's been concerned, isn't isn't just an issue that's specific to, to to or it's an issue that everybody in every different media market is talking about. That would be um, the uh, the crisis in Syria right now and the way our um, our lawmakers are reacting. I think every portion of the country has a story to tell as far as you know as that particular issue is concerned and how their lawmakers are are reacting because it really is a a, there really is a large neutral gray area there. Uh, everybody feels differently about the different kind of measures being done and what we should do. And uh, you know, as far as as far as national issues go, that one has been uh, uh, at the front of the conversation recently. Yeah, but I guess it's kind of. I guess you could say it's died off ever, especially since uh, I guess it was what two days ago. You had the Another madman yeah. with a gun. Well, madman with a gun, gun in D.C. kind of shooting stuff up in the in the Navy Yard, and that uh, refocuses the gun debate. And obviously, since uh, you know we're from Florida, that is where a lot of the gun debate was in the last few months, at least. So now it's kind of you know nationally, it's uh, being highlighted once more. Yeah, and you know people are saying that um, we forgot about the gun debate. You know, it was hot for for a little while. Um, you know, uh, earlier in the year, unfortunately, you know, it took those uh, it took a tragic shooting at Newtown, Connecticut, um, to bring that to uh, that those issues to the to the front of the conversation. And then you know, it just sort of um, it faded uh, as the time went on. We started talking about immigration. And, and now it looks like we're talking about um, the economy, and yet, yeah, and it takes another tragedy like the one you saw at the Washington Naval Yard to uh, to bring the focus back to uh, to gun control. 
Um, it's, uh, it, it's, there's definitely a lot going on right now. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of controversial issues and to see how it's all going to play out. It's going to be, um, it's going to be interesting as well. And hopefully everyone can learn some lessons from, um, from the actions being taken and, um, and, and really try to find some positive solutions. You know, it's actually kind of funny because I was actually in Washington, D.C., probably you know, just a couple blocks from where this was happening. And, you know, I didn't really read the news at all. It's pretty busy that day. So, obviously, I'm a journalist, so I'm supposed right. to be looking at the news all the time. But I did, I on purpose, I did not pay attention to anything. I didn't read anything. But I bought the newspaper the day after, and I read the whole story. I kind of read what happened. And basically, the way it worked is you had the, this fellow who was a military contractor, kind of working for Hewlett Packard, and went into right. a place with a shotgun in the Navy Yard, uh, shot a couple people. He stole a handgun from one of the guards there. And then the Washington Post article said that apparently he picked up an assault weapon at some point, which seemed like very right, shoddy. Yeah. It seemed like shoddy reporting. I don't know. What's it come out about that in the last uh, day or so? Well, you know, it was it's a, it's a very chaotic scene, and, and you know they, they've established that the guy had some um, some psychological problems, and you know there's still a lot of investigations going on mm. over those issues. But um, it's going to bring the gun control debate the gun control debate back. And anytime anytime you um, you bring up the term assault weapons, you automatically think of um, the assault the proposed assault weapons ban. Which was being thrown around in Washington for a while, I believe. Uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein was kicking that around. Um, uh, you're going to hear about then that again, and uh, you know, when when you talk about the actual, you know, assault weapon parameters, uh, there's uh, there's so many things that are when you look at the the weapon itself, so many things that can be tweaked and modified to uh, to exempt it from the um, you know the term uh, assault weapon. That doesn't make it an assault weapon in yeah. the eyes of the law. And there's so many things going on. It's a very complex subject, but um, it's it's a conversation we're gonna have to have again soon, especially since you know it takes tragedies like these to remind us of how important it really is. And and to uh, further that point a little bit, I think you bring yourself some interesting perspective. You yourself are a military veteran, and That's right, yeah. you know a little bit about guns. Uh, you know you, you were able to be trained, and you kind of know the difference. I mean. It, for you, what is an assault weapon? Like when you hear that, I think a lot of people just think fully automatic machine gun in the trenches, World War Two. Yeah, you know that's certainly that that, that is an assault weapon. Um, but you know, I think assault an assault weapon to me is something that um, that it's a it's, it's it's a weapon of war. You know, it's something to 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 to, uh, to take. Um, to take enemy life as fast as possible is certainly not not a term to be played with. Um, it's uh, it's it's complicated as far as uh, the the roles are concerned on um, how those should play in the civilian sector. Obviously, you've got a very passionate um, a passionate uh, large group of uh, of uh, pro Second Amendment um, advocates that believe those things uh, should that assault weapons. Um, depending on the specific specifications of each of the, uh, uh, each weapon, should be allowed to be owned by civilians and don't those who believe they should just be strictly for military use. But you know, it's a debate that we got to keep having until we can find a, a, a reasonable solution for. 
And there was an interesting uh, news story that came in. Apparently, the CEO of Starbucks came out and said that guns are not welcome right. in his store. Yeah, I saw that. You know, right. which is interesting because I've actually been in Starbucks in North Carolina and in Florida, and actually with a couple friends of mine who walk in open carry, got the gun on the hip. You know, obviously they're not cocking it, pointing it at the poor guy at the register, but they do have it right. on them. Yeah, well, you know, I think. Uh you know, he's the CEO. Um, you know, for him to, to say that it's not welcome in his stores, it's uh, it's certainly his, his right. I mean, I don't, I myself don't carry a a firearm in the Starbucks. Um, but, pe- but people, <laughs> you like you said, like, like a, like, you don't have a handgun latte in the morning. Yeah, a handgun. You know, I don't keep a a, a, a weapon in the, you know on my belt and, <laughs> and 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 gesture towards it if they don't get my 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 double uh, my double tall mochaccino correct. You know, I think. Um, <laughs> It's uh, it's it, it's it's the CEO's right. You know, I believe that Starbucks CEO. Um, I don't know what his exact, exact name is, but he's written. He's very political. Howard Johnson, something like that. Howard, Howard something. Uh, but 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 he's he's very political. Uh, very politically active. He's written books and, and Howard Schultz. Howard Schultz. Yes. Um, he's a very politically active business personality. With a lot of um, a lot of political views, mm. and to hear this coming from him isn't completely um, uh, uncharacteristic. But you know, it, it's a brand that a lot of people are, are fond of, and to, to see the debate, um, you know, initiated into a part of a a part of everyone's you know daily lives. You know, a lot of people, almost everybody drinks coffee on a daily basis. Uh, introduced in that way to each other is a. Uh, is definitely newsmaking, and that's probably why you're hearing so much of it uh, right now. Next, you're going to hear about it in McDonald's, or or maybe they make it a you know a competitive thing. Dunkin' Donuts says you know your, your guns are welcome here. Who knows? Mm, but, uh, definitely, definitely. I think he also is single-handedly responsible for employing all these hipsters that uh, basically normally would not have <laughs> jobs. Were it not for Starbucks being baristas all over the place, and it seems to be a pretty good job. I've known a couple people who've worked there, and yeah, those people get health care. It's one of the rare places where you can um, get health care from an employer, uh, even if you're part time, I believe. So um, that's good. That's one of their that's one of their key um, that's one of their key benefits for dealing with. Co- yeah, it's a good perk for dealing with uh, the picky coffee customers every day. So, yeah. um, hmm. but. Uh, so, but just to hear a business leader like that come out on such a controversial issue, um, definitely uh, adds an extra aspect to the uh, to the story uh, um, on a very controversial uh, subject. So back to something that is very controversial. I have a an interesting article here in the New York Times about hipsters. Mm. <laughs> and, and you know, I, I brought this up just because of the Starbucks hipster point. And there's an right. article about as. I guess an entire generation being, quote, caught in the hipster trap is the name. And it will be in the show notes at libertyinexile.com. I've got uh, everything listed there. The article just kind of brings up the paradox of basically everything you do now, no matter what it is, you are a hipster. That's sort of how our generation now has linked people, whether you have tattoos, you have headphones on. You know, you for some reason like right, to knit right. if you're a woman. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> I think I think it, for us we always concentrate on the political, and obviously I, th- I think that's how you and I view the world and we view relations between human beings. But still, when you have right. cultural phenomenons like this, I still think that's a really interesting way to to sort of look at society and see how people arrange themselves. 
you know, outside of traditional political institutions. Right, and, and you know, I always thought a, a hipster was a um, a personality that um, that was usually unimpressed by you know recent developments or you know. <laughs> Man, that's yeah, so, you know, that's, somebody, that's so nuanced. That's so nice. That's, that's such a nice way of saying it. Though. <laughs> that's such a nice way of saying it. You know, uh, you know the the latest movie is you know oh it's you know so old and uh, it's just. <laughs> The latest music, oh, you know, it's not indie enough. Um, it seems uh, those kind of personalities, as soon as something even has the threat of uh, of going mainstream, they automatically uh, turn their backs to it. For me, hipster's always been more of a um, of a personality than a uh, um, than, than than anything else. Yes, you do have those those Starbucks. Uh, those frequent hipsters, uh, you know, outside of the Starbucks, um, talking about, you know, uh, uh, obscure pieces of literature that surely that none of the common folk have certainly read. But to me, it's always been, you know, more of a, a state of mind. And but, uh, you know, I think um, <laughs> caught in the hipster trap is uh, definitely something we should we should definitely uh, try not to get into because I think once you lose that um, that sense of uh, that sense of you know being uh, of open-mindedness and discovering new things. Once you you know you close your mind on that, I think you've really lost something. Thing I really like about you, Frank, and it started from when we first started uh, talking, started meeting, talking about politics and all, is that you yourself use culture to inform your own opinions and your own analysis. I know it's not out in the open. You're not saying this is my life, uh, this is kind of how I live, and this is the way it goes, but you're also extremely curious, and I think for a lot of people, that's something that they lose very young in life, and I just kind of wanted to ask how that was going. I know that you as a military man were stationed in Germany at some point, and you became fascinated by the language, and you've actually laid your French on me for a while, obviously you speak <sighs> Spanish. I mean, it I'm needs just work. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, you know, you're, you're working hard on it, which is more than I would say for most people, most Americans who don't even have a passport. So I have yeah. to ask you, I guess, how, do, how does uh, your cultural openness, how does that really change sort of your political views in any way, or does it maybe inform them in a better way, in a worse way, in a more unique way? How do you see that? Uh, definitely better. And I think, you know, we, we can both see eye to eye on this. You know, we both been well-traveled and we both, you know, speak a, a lot of different languages. Um, you know, it, it opens up once you, once you really, it really opens up the entire world to you when you realize how things are done in Europe, how they're done in Asia um, and how they're done right here in the United States. It really opens up a, a whole new uh, way of looking at things and a whole new, you know, realm of understanding. Uh, once you see how, um, you know, I, I lived in German and uh, in, in Germany and Deutschland, and uh, once you get a, a full, um, you know, understanding of Verstehen of you know how things are, are are done over there, when you read about it from our perspective uh, in our newspapers and our television, you know, it adds an extra level of depth and understanding. And you know, I think if more people did that. It would, it would definitely make the subject of politics more fascinating, but uh, also, you know, open up a, a, a another level of of of, of understanding and, and a better sense of what's going on. I think another point as well is that most of these political institutions are pretty invisible. In that, 
right. we don't have a guy showing up at our door holding a gun saying, okay, well, you better go out and vote. You better go out and contribute to this political party. You better go out and uh, you know have this guy run for mayor. You should support him. It's all pretty. Not yet. <laughs> it's freewheeling. Yeah, thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> but it's so interesting that you know we've been able to sustain a kind of republic in the American sense here, and then in a lot of European continental countries there, it's like a parliamentary democracy, and it just kind of goes on. You know, people have a system and they just kind of follow what's going on is it because they are scared that they'll be coerced that they'll have a guy showing up at their door or is it because they actually respect it is it more like a sort of a a bias of the status quo i mean if people were left without these kind of formal institutions that they saw in front of them you know how do you think they would react is that something that's you know natural to them that they just kind of go along with the crowd or I don't know. That's something that I guess, as a journalist, I try to explain right. in my own way. But obviously, I don't ever think I'll find the answer. Yeah, you know, and it's a, it's a tough answer to find. Um, I think um, if I had to to, uh, to to pin that on something, I would have to say sort of a, a sense of national pride from wherever you're from. Um, you know, using the American perspective, we you know we, we look at our our heritage and our history, and we. Um, we look at elections in the political process as, as something who helped what, something that helped build this country what it is today. And there's you know there's sentiment uh, like that in in other countries around the world. Uh, they respect it because it's part of who they are. And you know most countries you you know uh, they have a uh, they have pride national pride over over how things are done. And um, unfortunately there's there's conflicts um, that. That lead that, that often turn violent, um, but I just think as long as people are proud of of where they come from and and and, and what their values are on the national scale, um, I think there will always be hope for a, for a government like that. Mm. And, and as long as you as long as you have you know a belief in, in what your country was founded on and and where you you know and or or. Um, pride in, in the people that you're in your countrymen, I think there'll always be hope for a, for a, um, a country to pull through. So Frank, this is like just the perfect segue. And I guess I gotta, I gotta start paying you for that. Cause that was just so <laughs> beautiful. And I, I, I don't consider myself really a nationalist. I haven't really just because I, I grew up in one place and you grow up speaking another language at home and you kind of are trying to catch up on news going on somewhere else. So I, I sort of considered myself a serial immigrant with a nationality problem. Right. And, ah, okay. Yeah, and right. the the segue that I want to make here is about the independence movement in Spain. You have Catalonia, the region to the east, which houses Barcelona, Barcelona. Uh -huh. And I was lucky enough to go uh, earlier this year, and I wrote a good article on it of about it for thestatelessman.com. I'll put that in the show notes at libertyandnexile.com. And and you brought that up about national pride, and right. how how people you know should be are proud of the system, and as long as they're proud of the system, then they'll still work. It'll still go on. And then you have this crisis-ridden place like Spain, where people my age, upwards of 65%, don't have a job, right. and you're having this entire region that. Uh, something like a million people went out on September the 11th, which is the uh, national holiday, I believe, formed a huge chain from one part of the country to the other. Wow, yeah. And they're 
they're excited and they're nationalistic and they're trying to promote the idea of a new state. And for a lot of people, they do not understand how you could change that. And that's one question I want to ask you. When we have changes in government like this or new movements or things that shake up the status quo, the geopolitical schemes, I mean, really, what does that do for people's understanding of how they mix in with politics? Uh, yeah, you know, um, we're, we're fortunate here to, to, to have, you know, to have had a stable government uh, for quite some time. And um, I think there comes a time, especially like the one, like the, the situation in Spain that you just uh, described, where if people feel like their voices aren't being heard, if there's enough of a sense of unfairness from government to, 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 let, to, to cause one, one million people to form a human chain, um, then there, there, there's a leadership problem there. Something got missed well, along see, the way. Well, that's, I, I understand your point, and I think that's like right. the political argument. But also there's right. the cultural argument. So in Catalonia, they speak Catalan, totally different language from from Spanish. I mean, I, I went uh, there, I went to Spain thinking I was like going to be the, the head honcho. You know, here <laughs> I was, I'm, I'm Don Yael. I was like ready to, to speak away. But as soon as we get there, everything's in Catalan. Everyone right, speaks right. Catalan. <laughs> and then you're just lost. And then I did more research. I, you know, I bought a book. I started reading up on the history and you really realize that this was its own thriving nation until Franco, the dictator, kind of came in. Oh, okay. He made it right. illegal for people to speak Catalan. And, and, I mean, for 40, 50 years, this guy was dictator. And he was dictator until, like, the 70s. Yeah. And, um, you know, people still are speaking the language, and it is now, like, enforced, like uh, French is in Quebec. I just – I find that so fascinating and so interesting and I'm actually ready for, uh, I guess, it's the 194th country to join. I think it'd be awesome if they split. If they split, well, you know, um, well, we'll see what they do. Uh, if they do split, uh, hopefully, well, you always want to avoid uh, violence and, and bloodshed. You always want to find peaceful uh, solutions to well, these a hum- things. A human chain is peaceful. Yeah, yeah. a human chain. Is, yeah, a human chain is very peaceful. Um, but those, just like those. Um, those elements that we spoke to spoke about um, in our previous discussions, those who um, those powers that will try to coerce through things that aren't peaceful, and just the manipulation of that pro, pro, that process is something that you know that has to be that eyes have to be kept on. Um, you know, if uh, we'll obvi- we'll have to uh, you know monitor developments over there. It's definitely a um, a, a, a remarkable uh, display. Uh, of, of you know of human you know of, of, of human beliefs and, and and what they want um, as a, as a country so to break away from you know the Spain is is definitely um, no um, no no small uh, initiative so you know we'll keep an eye on things over there and just see how things develop really so do, do you think there's any possible way that any state in the United States or it doesn't even have to be a state it could be a region if right. in Florida for example Miami Dade and Broward and the Keys got together and said, you know what? We want to split off from Florida. We want to create our own state. We're going to call it Miami-a-stan. Miami-a-stan. <laughs> Hopefully they, they would come up with a better name than yeah, that. Yeah, well, it'd be Santa uh, yeah. Miami. You know, I don't know. <laughs> you know, you, you, always hear, you always hear these calls from a, a lot of the more um, extreme 
extreme voices in the political conversation secede from, you know, the United States. Um, you know, well, oh, yeah. you know, yeah, you I mean, um, oh, you, you know, we should leave, you know, behind. Uh, I, I don't believe that would happen here. Um, you mean in America in general? Yeah, in America in general. Uh, but yeah, but every you know every country has a different political and, and emotional climate. Um, I, I think that the circumstances here would have to be pretty extreme to force a state to leave the the the, 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 the you know the United States. But uh, in 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 Spain, obviously they have some different factors going on over there. Um, economically, they're not you know they're not sound. They're having a lot of problems with the the the. the uh, the uh, the union over there and, and there's a lot of aggregating factors that can that can cause you know initiatives like these that would make a a, a group of one million people you know want to leave uh, want to leave Spain and mm-hmm. and the important thing is just to make sure that all the voices aren't heard I think once you shut off the the lines of communication you're you're throwing your hands up and you're basically quitting um, well in a way in a way but yeah. I I have to say that I am probably myself one of these extreme voices that you talk about here. <laughs> uh, right. Well, and, the, and the reason is because I do come from Quebec, and it's not hard to imagine independence. It's not hard to imagine secession, because there have actually already been two referendums, two big votes in Quebec that came extremely close. Uh, you know, So it's always been on the forefront of my mind, and when you think about it, all people are really talking about are invisible lines in the sand that Correct. you know we're just going to shift them. You know, we'll move them this way, that way. Obviously, if there's a state that seceded in America, it's not going to be drastically different. It's not going to be all right. Well, this is going to be a Muslim state, and we're going to worship that. I mean, it would be exactly the same. It would still be a secular place. It would still probably have Republicans and Democrats, unfortunately. But there would be maybe some difference, whether it be economically, whether it be I have no clue. Maybe in the way they would want to treat the environment. I don't know. I, I still think, however, that the the smaller amount of people that have access to power, you know, sometimes in a big country like the U.S. when yeah. power is centralized in Washington, D.C., and people don't really have the mechanisms to counter that, the state just grows bigger and bigger and bigger. And right. I don't know. It just does not seem like the perfect situation. No, it's not the perfect situation. And let me uh, put it in some uh, in the context: extreme voices. Um, uh, I guess there was would be extreme voices from an American perspective because the conditions um, with you know in Spain and, and like you said in Quebec. I'm sh- sure there's reasons. Obviously, there's referendums and there's human change with millions of people. There's um, reasons you know behind you know uh moves like that to break away from their their country so and on the american scale there isn't a, a movement that big to to really think that so that's what i meant by extreme but um you know you, you look at the, the certain differences uh you're, you're you're correct there probably wouldn't be a lot of differences if miami stan broke off you know from from the rest of the country you know you'd, they'd probably still have a um, they'd probably still have uh, sports franchises but um Ooh, yeah, but, you know, that's, that's important to think about. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's, it's it's just a matter really of um, you know uh, of the different circumstances in every country and what's the behind the push of uh, of seceding or leaving a country. If obviously if the government is mistreating its citizens, it's hurting its citizens, and in bad cases killing its citizens, then you know, the people are going to reunite and they're going to move against that government. 
Um, well, I don't think it's a given because so. I, I think, especially if we look at examples like the Kurdish people, who are stuck between Iraq and Turkey and and part of Syria and Iran. I mean, they're kind of left out on their own. They're a minority. They've been gassed by Saddam. They've been killed by the Iranians. It's as if we like to assume that there would be a positive push and people would rise up. But I tell you, man, there's always other factions and more powerful people that always kind of sneak their way in there and can control the situation. It's uh, exactly what happened in, in Egypt. There's this huge revolution. Yeah, One guy got pushed in, Muslim Brotherhood, and then now there's whole new riots, people getting killed in the streets. It, it's crazy. Well, you know, and those people are risking their lives. If, yeah. if, and the conviction behind some of these groups are, are serious, you know. They are prepared to, to you know, to die for, for what they believe uh, is, is their, their freedom, their freedom they deserved, and and a government that will treat their people the right way. So, you know, and, and like in those areas of the Middle East, you know, there or there are people are already in, in fear for their lives. So they've got very, you know, in order to to secure the future for for their children, um, for their families, you know, moves like that are necessary. Um, and you, you bring up people who are who are fearful for their lives. I have another segue here. One guy who was not scared for his life, I, I believe it was last week, was Mr. Charlie Rose. He actually went oh, to yeah. the Middle East, went to Syria, went to Damascus, and interviewed the butcher himself, the terrible tyrant who's uh, you know cutting off the hands of children, Mr. Bashar al-Assad. And it was a pretty interesting interview. Did you get to watch that? Yeah, I did get to watch it, and uh, Mr. Rose was uh, was pretty fearless, um, considering you know he was in the office of, of the man he was going after pretty um, pretty hard, and um, you know it was it was a remarkable uh, remarkable interview. Yeah, that's a, that's a good piece of journalism when you know an American audience can can hear straight from you know from the mouths of of of, of someone like Assad what. You know what in their English, thought right? in English, yeah, in English, and, and what their thought process is behind their actions. I mean, it wasn't lost behind an interpreter, um, and uh, you know, and he he did he did uh, juke and jive a little bit uh, with Charlie Rose, not not always providing straight answers. Um, a lot of times, you know, choosing a to to to, to pass by. A, um, um, an honest uh, response uh, a few times, but uh, otherwise it was a, a, a strong piece of, of journalism, and it sends a clear message because it's coming right from the man um, on the other side. So uh, it, it was a, a fascinating interview, uh, but unfortunately, it didn't look like um, it, it just painted a picture of the challenges that are that are still ahead. Yeah, and it's always very interesting. I saw the cha- the sort of the challenges that. Uh that he was bringing up where, you know, as soon as, uh, I think the, the quote he uses, he was talking about rebels, right? He was saying that rebels, in the United yeah. States, uh, when you have Occupy and all these kind of groups and people who protest the government, you know, they're not freedom fighters. They're rebels. They're, <laughs> he, he did the same thing. He said in London, when they were protesting about, stu- you know, student prices, you know, they weren't freedom fighters or people hoping to change democracy. They were rebels. <laughs> and yeah. it's, and he brings that perspective, and it really, I think, changes the narrative a little bit on the American thinking. And that's 
if somebody sat there and watched the entire hour-long interview, which pretty much I highly doubt, you know, apart from you and me, did, I think right. it would. I think it would at least change one or two minds about what's going on over there. Uh, one or two, but you know, I I think the some of the the language Assad used was more, um, uh, I guess just just trying to 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 show to the to, to I guess trying to. Um, you think he was putting on a show? Right. Well, not, not well. I believe some parts of it was, uh, you know, some kind of a um, a show aspect. I don't. Well, uh, I, obviously he wasn't completely forward, but um, he he just. It looks like behind his message, he was just kept trying to to, to show things that um, were going on in in the United States that weren't anywhere near really near the scale of the violence. Nowhere near the scale of the violence and the death that's going on over there, and just try to to, to write it off as that. Um, you know, we, we, we do have occupiers, we do have protesters, but under no circumstances are um, do we believe that they're going to, you know, that that violence is going to be used against them, and and uh, do they believe that violence will be used against them outside of you know um, certain uh, certain procedures where police have to be called in, called in, but um, I think. Our country knows that at the end of the day, it's gonna it's gonna be okay. You know that those, those people are still getting their voices heard. They're still their representatives are still acting on it most of the time, and that uh, ultimately it will uh, you know those things will, will will brush over. And and if something if there was ever such a serious disconnect as what you see in some of the other countries, you would certainly see a movement by this government to to um, to try to make those things right. You know, if possible, you know, we're still we're still a free country and we still um, enjoy a lot of the rights that that, you know, that that, you know, keeps the the, the government in check. So Um, can can I present an alternative scenario for you to consider? Sure, go ahead. So let's imagine the United States is the biggest supplier of fossil fuels, of oil in the world. Which I, I believe ah, it's. I guess you were going. I right. believe it's still kind of true because uh, I think you know exports are very high and there's still a lot of oil around here. But let's say the United States is the biggest source of oil, untapped, right? They don't really have you know huge wells. Just this is an alternative universe. They don't have huge wells. They don't have the, all these nice contraptions that have been uh, thought up by engineers. And there are countries in the Middle East, for example, a country like Syria or Iran. That is the bigger, biggest user of oil and fossil fuels in the world. And China, as well, is one of the biggest in the world. And they start coming over to the United States. And they start seeing that the United States people are, are kind of throwing bombs back and forth, or they're getting upset. So they go in and start giving guns to one side or another and propping up sides of the Civil War. And then once uh, the deal is is over and uh, I guess the war is over, then there's contracts renegotiated. We get a lot of these resources, China and Iran and Syria. They can get their hands on some of the oil. The reason I present that scenario is kind of what happened in Iraq. You had Exxon Mobil who signed a $60 billion oil contract the year, probably three years after the U.S. invaded in 2003. So these are things that are always happening in the background. I don't think 100% that's what's on the mind of certainly not Obama. Was it on the mind of Cheney? Probably. 
I don't think it's the number one reason. I just think it really helps that there's a bunch of oil or there's a gateway to get to oil or there's a pipeline being built. I just feel bad for the people who have to be stuck in the middle of it. Yeah, and, and you know, and that that scenario you're placing um, is uh, is um, certainly you know to have those resources in a country like that, and there's always going to be people trying to work the locks. Um, you just have to try to you know make sure that uh, accountability is being held, that those kind of people are being held accountable. Do they always get held held accountable? No, it's not. Uh, no, they don't, and, and that's a, you know a great injustice, but. I think that's why, um, based on the strength of that, of, of you know, of what the scenario, a mixture of the scenario you listed in, the um, of also what's going on in Syria, is that a, a military strike um, wouldn't be approved by uh, the government at this time. Now, you know, giving weapons to the rebels, um, you know, uh, a foreign aid to uh, to the victims, uh, certainly like the. Um, those are actions that we've taken in the past, and certainly some that were some that were being um, kicked around now. Uh, you know, it just all depends on each individual um, situation, uh, and it seems that the propelling, the aggravating factor behind this are the use of chemical weapons. And and are we leaving? You know, are we leaving space for for other countries like this to uh, to, to to use chemical weapons against their people? It seems like that was the real the real trigger in this factor to, to that set off this entire debate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely, you know, a complicated situation and there's a lot of evidence, but it still is extremely interesting when our president gets up there and gives a speech and says the number one reason or the number one source of proof is YouTube videos. <laughs> We've yeah, seen YouTube. YouTube. We've seen the YouTube videos. <laughs> and and, and I, I watched those YouTube videos and, you know, it's, it's essentially, um, it's essentially, uh, 15 minutes of, of watching children die. It's, it's one of the saddest things I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and, and it's a mind changer. Um, it is in a way, and I agree with you, but still yeah. we do not have categorical proof or analysis of who shot this weapon, of where it that came from. That is correct. That I is think absolutely it, correct. I think it's pretty you know, it's unanimous that these kind of weapons have been used. But in March, you had the UN commissioner, uh, Carla del ponte who came out and said oh yeah rebels use them and then she had to recant her report and now we're talking about assad using them i mean it's it's a sticky situation i would not want to be there probably i wouldn't want to go interview anybody over there either yeah i i definitely wouldn't want to go interview anybody over there uh, despite um mr rose's um <laughs> despite the scoop attempt. the good despite, scoop. despite the scoop <laughs> uh, but um and that's a, that's a that's a point I've heard by many of our lawmakers. You know, why should we go over there um, when there are really no friendly parties um, to the United States taking place in that con- that conflict? And it comes down to to really the precedent um, of the use of of, uh, of, of chemical weapons um, against people and violations of, uh, of international rules. And it's just a, it's a large debate going on in countries all over the world. Um, we'll see what the Russians do, and hopefully um, we can find a, a, a peaceful resolution. Yeah, man. Let's uh, no more war. Let's all go for peace. Yeah, I think the, I think the whole country's tired of uh, still war weary, 
and really wants to do some 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 nation building here at home. So yeah, well there you go. Frank Torres, uh, who will be running in 2016. Uh, no, ah. <laughs> no, it's good. Well, nah, Frank, it's, it, it so. is a it's a pleasure to have you on, and I really enjoy your perspective. Obviously, you're you're very much used to speaking on camera to being grilled about these issues. So I really appreciate you uh, picking up uh, on a on a dinky little podcast and uh, letting your your uh, opinions flow like the river that they are. Well, you know, uh, anytime I can talk politics with uh, another polyglot, uh, I'll definitely take that opportunity. And it was great being on here, and uh, um, this is a great, uh, great show you got going on. Merci beaucoup, mon ami. And uh, if people are looking for you over the internet or want to follow your projects, uh, I guess where can they go? What, what should they look for? I mean, what kind of things are you pushing for here toward in uh, in the future? Uh, I'm gonna st- well, obviously, uh, well, if you're Central Florida in Central Florida, you'll be able to see me um, on the local television stations next year, um, covering the midterms elections. If not, I'll be on OrlandoPolitics.net, where you can get uh, all the best political news from Central Florida. All right, great stuff. And you're also on the Twitter. What's your handle? I'm again? also on the Twitter at Frank Torres Net. Okay, great. So, so we'll get that out hopefully. Uh, we can get uh, more of your your beautiful words, the beautiful river of words that come from uh, come from the words of Frank uh, Frank Torres. I do have to thank you once again for coming on, my good friend. Uh, really is a pleasure. I'm I'm really glad to see the work that you're doing there in Central Florida, and and hopefully, man, we can get together once more and become the power team that we know that we are. Yeah, you got it. Let's do it uh, during elections. All right, uh, man. Early on next year. Sounds oh, good. Oh, definitely. Sounds good. Merci beaucoup. Danke schön, Frank. Yeah, uh, it's, 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 it's good. Uh, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, All right. And for the rest of the listeners, you can find uh, everything in the show notes, libertyinexile.com. Au revoir et bonne chance à tous. Visit libertynexile.com.